Hello and welcome to the Marketing Automation Discussion. I'm your host, Benjamin Bowman. Today we're talking to Ernie Satirelli from Active Campaign. As many of you listening will know, Active Campaign is a big player in the email and marketing automation space. So today we talk about their framework for viewing retention and customer experience, the four key data sources that you need to have integrated into your data stack, how to leverage recipes to automate retention within your organization, what metrics you need to be using to track the performance, and as well as trends in the space. With that said, on to the podcast. Hey, Ernie, thanks for joining us today. Ben, thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Great stuff. So as per usual, do you mind telling us a little quick summary about yourself and your background? You know, what are you doing these days? Sure. So I'm Ernie. I'm the multimedia content manager at ActiveCampaign, which is a software company, customer experience automation software. Been there for a little over three years. Started actually as an SDR on the sales side, making calls to our, our trials. Worked there for about a year and then moved over to the marketing side. Did a little bit of content marketing, writing blogs, working on other content of that sort, and then moved into the digital event or webinar program. So kind of built that from the ground up, uh, moved into this multimedia role. And now I, I host a show every two weeks for Active Campaign called Growth Decoded, where we look at the relationship between business growth, customer experience, take a look at an individual topic every every episode, throw it under the microscope, kind of figure out what it is, why it, why it's important, how to make it work for you, and then ultimately how it improves your your business. You know, with the addition of, of still working on webinars a little bit and then kind of just throwing my hand in wherever it's needed. Gosh, every two weeks, how are you enjoying that? It's awesome. It's a great time. I, you know, <laughs> writing writing a show, producing a show, it's it's pretty cool. We we actually get to film at the Active Campaign office, which is great to be back there. We've got a couple of different cameras and a whole team. So the my video team and we've got an AV team and it's a whole production. It's it's really something. It's a great time. Definitely. Sounds super cool. I'll make sure to put links to Growth Decoded in the show notes as well. But Perfect. really keen to chat about retention today. Obviously, it's something that Active Campaign is big on. To preface the discussion a little bit, I was curious to know which businesses in particular do you think should care more about retention than others? And the reason why I ask this is retention, to my mind, sounds like it would be of a bigger focus to the businesses that you know, have a long-term relationship with a client versus those that have a very short window. But what's your perspective on this? I don't mean for this to sound like a cop-out, but frankly, I think all businesses should care about retention for, for various different ways, right? So I think retention is super important. One, because if you have we'll say like a short product life cycle, if it's a subscription, if it's a perishable good, or if it's something that, you know, sort of runs out and you need a refill after a smaller amount of time, you want to retain those customers because you're going to have them repeat purchases over and over again. And then to your point, you know, long-term relationships, 
that sort of plays into that as well, right? You know, you, you want to maintain communication with those customers that you have. You want to maintain a strong relationship and keep them coming back and keep them loyal to you. But, but more importantly, just having a good experience, customer experience and trusting your brand. So if you can kind of establish yourself there. But one thing that's kind of interesting to me is, is businesses that have long product life cycles. So if you think about like, like a real estate firm that's selling homes or maybe a car dealership, you know, products that you would sell and then you're probably, you know, people aren't coming back every Every month or two to buy another car or buy another house. But what's interesting there is, is retention kind of means something different to those folks. If you can create a good relationship with them, you're sort of retaining them in the way that they are telling everyone they know about you. If someone is, you know, looking to buy a car and they had a great experience with you, you know, they're not going to go back and buy another car, but they might send new customers to you. So retention there is sort of almost like it kind of bridges that gap between, you know, when they have converted and become a customer to even like refilling your pipeline in terms of new leads and new potential customers. So, so I think, you know, the relationship, the customer experience throughout the entire buying cycle is incredibly important, regardless of what type of business you are. It just means a little bit of a different thing and sort of requires a shift in your perspective based on, you know, the, the product or service or whatever you're offering is, what the life cycle of that product is. And then, you know, if, if it's relationship or not, it's, it's going to take a different form, but again, you know, Retention is incredibly important. Yeah, definitely makes a lot of sense. Do you find that the business age or stage, for example, startups versus more established businesses, do you think this plays a large factor? For example, it's it's not all that important for a, a newer startup to look at or definitely as important or more important? I think it's, again, it's, it's going to take a, a bit of a different form regardless of or it's going to take a different form depending on the type of business, but it's still important and it should be focused on regardless of the age of your business, right? So a startup in the initial phase, you know, you, you could be that cool, hot new thing. You can take a little bit more chances. You can be a little more scrappy. You're kind of figuring out who you are. In a larger business, you know, you have that established name, you have that established brand. You could be trustworthy, you know, you could be all these different things, but it's, it's still very important to focus on the relationship and the retention side it just it requires a little bit, again, a different shift in your perspective, right? So it's like you could be an old business, but if your customers don't really like doing business with you and then this new startup comes along or a new business, a new name, you're not going to retain that customer. And and to the same point, if you are that startup and you're taking cool chances and you're you're this flashy new thing and people are jumping over to you, but you're not providing a good experience, then they will go back to that brand, even if the experience is probably the same, just because they've done business with them before, they've heard their name longer, they've been in the conversation longer. So it definitely plays a role, you can use it to your advantage. But I think you just have to be able to back it up with that customer experience, that that relationship, the ability to make your customers feel like they're not just a number, they're not just a, a transaction, they're actually someone who matters to you. Yeah, definitely. Did you have any kind of frameworks for how people should be thinking about retention? Yeah. So at Active Campaign, we we call we have a, a graphic actually. We call it the, the customer life cycle, and so it's this. We break it into four stages. So the first stage would be you know the reach and engage stage. How are you generating leads? How are you getting? How are people finding out about your business? And then ultimately, once they find out, how are you hooking them? How are you getting them? to, to want to learn more. And that would then, you know, at that point, they move into the, the nurture and educate phase, which is phase two. So that's, that's where you're going to be providing answers to their questions, providing them with helpful content. Maybe you're on the phone with them a little bit. They're starting to feel you out, 
trying to figure out if, if your solution, your business is right for them. Moving into the third, which is convert and close. So this is all sort of that traditional funnel, right? Starts wide, moves down to the narrow, but then where it changes is in the fourth stage. And that's this growth and advocate stage. So what happens there is it, it ends up looking more like a circle. And that's really where the customer retention comes in. And so once they convert and they close, the customer lifecycle isn't over. That's almost really where it's beginning. Because again, they can come back and be a repeat customer. But also, if you're providing that experience for them, if you're making them feel important, if you're making them feel heard, if you are helping them along the way, helping them get up to speed with your product or or service, if that's something that makes sense for the business, that's where they're going to start talking about you to people that they know. You know, if, if they have a negative experience, studies are showing something like they tell 15 people, if you can't provide that experience, you're almost creating a group of people that are like the anti you. They're going out and telling everybody about this poor experience. And, and consumers are, are pretty fickle these days, right? I mean, you've got cust- you've got companies like Amazon and, and Netflix that have sort of changed the game as far as expectation goes, where they're going to deliver this consistent, amazing, timely thing that's personalized also, right? Netflix gives you recommendations. Amazon gives you product recommendations to you, exactly to what you're doing. And so the expectations have kind of changed. And really what we find is that experience comes down to expectation. And so if you if you miss those or you don't set them and manage them properly, that's where a lot of your poor experiences are going to come and that's where retention is going to fall off. So that that fourth stage after the convert and closes, are you setting them up for success by one telling them what to expect so that if you, you know because the baseline expectation is like delivery in 2 days, instant whatever. You know, gratification is just like it's there. It's this I expect to have the best. So if, you know, you can set the expectation, if you can't deliver that, tell them why. Tell them, you know, it's a it's a higher quality. It's more personal. It's more, you know, whatever the case may be, find that that distinctive factor for your business. But really set those expectations and that's that's where you're going to, you know, because the, the retention, the flip side of that is if they if they're not telling 15 people about a bad experience, then they're also going to tell 15 people about a great experience. So it's almost like the customer experience is either killing you or you're you're killing it kind of a deal. So it, it's really important to think about retention, not only because of that individual customer, but because they're going to end up being a sales and marketing team for you and their efforts are going to vastly exceed the impact of whatever efforts that you have. People trust personal recommendations more than, I mean, people trust online reviews as much as like a recommendation from a friend that they've known forever. So you really need to get that right. And that's what retention ultimately is going to, it's going to lead right back into that engagement phase, that awareness phase where you're, you're going to be getting in front of people that you otherwise wouldn't. And their first impression of you is either going to be really good or really bad. Right. It's funny, I can really resonate with the example there where you tell 15 people, you know, I I can think of a couple of times I've, you know, used a very frustrating app as an example and complained to everyone in the office about how annoying this particular thing was, even just in passing, ah, you know, can you believe it? That's not even this, you know, that type of thing. So I'm probably part of that statistic somewhere. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Who, who, who isn't, right? I mean, right. you that's it's just the nature of humans and how we interact, right? You have a bad experience, you want to talk about it. You have a good experience, you want to talk about it. That's, that's what we do. So it's sort of a, mat- a matter of making sure that you're giving them a good experience and then using that fact of human psychology to your advantage. Yeah, absolutely. So any tips on how we'd go about applying this particular framework? Yes, couple. So throughout the customer lifecycle with every touch point that you have, there's there's information that you can 
get, right? Marketing, sales, it, it, a lot of times I feel like people think about marketing as sort of a one-way conversation, right? I'm putting a message out. I'm sending a message to you. I'm writing an ad. You're looking at it and that's it. But it is a two-way conversation, though they're not saying anything back to you explicitly. You have to kind of monitor their behavior. And so the, the four pieces of information that I think are the most important would be, you know, what are the pages that they're looking at on your website? What is the information that you're getting from any integrations that you might have? I think it's super important to, you know, link all of the tools that you might be using wherever you're you're digitally listening. How are they interacting with you on social media, across your website, across your email platform? Are they if you're SMS, you know, are they are they responding to those or are they taking actions based on those things? What are the links that they're clicking across all of those platforms? And then again to to the email point, you know, what does your email engagement look like? Are they opening emails? Are they clicking on links and emails? Are they opening them multiple times? Like a lot of, we kind of get lost in this. What's the open rate? What's the click through rate? They tell you a story. They don't tell you the whole story. So it's almost like, what's the action rate? What's the, what's the click to open rate? And then once they get to whatever that link is, if it's a page, if it's the landing page, how many people are converting from there? You know, what is the the total thing? So it's kind of just taking those four pieces, pages, integrations, links, and emails, putting them together and, and only you know your business, but if you can track those and then sort of map the different touch points, what does it mean if somebody opens an email every day? What should we send them next? Where should they go? How should we segment them? And this is where you're going to be able to move contacts through that customer lifecycle a bit more swiftly and more efficiently and, and be able to provide, you know, using automation, right? You're automating all of this digital listening, and then you can eventually automate that segmentation and things like that with tools like Active Campaign or HubSpot or, you know, the like. There's there's tons of tools and no one tool is going to do it for anybody. But if you can listen to those things and then really think about what are these different touch points telling me and then what should I respond with, that two-way conversation, that's really how it's going to work for you in, in the long run. Yeah. You mentioned page browsing information. Mm-hmm lead scoring, event tracking, that kind of thing. Did you have any yes. rules of thumb for how to apply lead scoring in a practical fashion? Some of our listeners probably do, a lot of them would do lead scoring, but I know some of them may not just because they found it difficult okay. to implement. Sure. Yeah. So so really what all of this stuff comes down to, at least what I think is the best way to approach it is always to write it down pen, paper, pencil, paper, right? It seems a little, we have computers now, but (laughs) really think about it. What are the things that are worth giving points to a contact for? What are the things that are worth removing points from a, like from a contact? And then based on that, you know, you, you want to set up, set it up in a system that works for you, right? That could be plus one, or it could be plus five or plus 10 plus a hundred, you know, whatever it works for you. There's really no silver bullet in terms of like, this is the the system that you should set up. But you want to look at the intent behind the actions that you might be tracking, or the behaviors that you would be tracking across your contacts, you know, like an email open isn't necessarily going to be the end all be all for a customer, but filling out a form for an event, and then attending that event. So you kind of want to go, I would say, you know, we were talking a little bit about not just tracking opens and click throughs, but then what is the click to open? What is the conversion on that page? You know, take it, kind of look at it as like, okay, email open, a lot of people are going to do that. Link, click, that's going to be a little less, should probably be worth some more points. When they get to the page, if they fill out the form, that should be worth even more points. If it's for an event or there's another step after that, 
that should be worth even more points, right? You're like, however many steps removed from the most broad thing, that's where you want to increase those points by, you know, whether it's an order of magnitude or one, five, 10, you know, whatever the case may be, only you are going to know that for your business. And don't ever be afraid to, to look at it and say, you know what, I thought I had this right, but I'm going to change this. It's everything is constantly, constantly in flux. Everything needs to be iterated, you know, but, but you really need to think about what are the things that every customer has to go through or sorry, every contact has to go through on their way to becoming a customer. And then also don't be afraid to set thresholds and, and take points away from people. If they're engaged, but then engagement falls off after a week, after two weeks, the point total that they have is probably not, you know, correlated to their current level of engagement. So it's definitely just like, take a look at your process, figure out what are the most, what, where are the actions that indicate the most intent, assign points according to that. And then also don't be afraid to, to let people fall back below those thresholds. You know, people in engagement, it's fleeting these days. Right. I know from experience, point decay is probably something active campaign does just pretty well. I remember setting up automations in that fashion. So it was a little bit easier to do than I expected. But did you have any particular perspective on how to set up the decay as well? For example, certain periods of time or certain actions that, that people do? Sure, sure. So again, it's, I mean, it's going to depend on your customer lifecycle, your product lifecycle. How long is the traditional customer lifecycle for a given product or a given offering. But what I would say is, is take a look at engagement and then kind of break that down. It's not just, are they engaged? Are they not engaged? You know, you might have someone who opens every single email. They're probably like the hyper engaged. Like we call them cheerleaders. They're your cheerleaders. They love your content. They're opening everything. They're on your website. Maybe they're repeat customers. Then you've got people who are opening maybe like every second, third, fourth email. That might be a step removed. You've got people who are opening maybe like one or two a week or a month, depending on how frequently you're sending. And that's another thing that you need to take into account, too, is if you're only sending one email a week or you're sending a couple emails a month, are they opening all of them? And if someone's not opening them for a month, well, you've only sent them one or two emails. So it's it's sort of like, you know, take that into consideration, too. But I would say probably break it, break engagement down into four or five different levels according to the different things that you're you're putting in front of them or asking them to interact with. And also take into account, you know, if, if you have a short product lifecycle and you're trying to get them to, if, if you have something that's sort of perishable or a subscription fee or a service that they want to be coming back every second or third week, that's going to play into your engagement and also that point decay. Like how many cycles will they miss before you're thinking, okay, it's do or die time, right? Like they're, they're on the fence. They might not be coming back. So you want to look at the data that you have, but also, you know, kind of think about, think about it from that perspective. And again, if it works keep trying to refine it and make it work better. And if it's not working, identify where it's not working and iterate and try to change it to make it work a little bit better. But I would definitely say break the engagement down, not just in terms of are they engaged? Are they not engaged? But you know, how engaged are they? Yeah. So we talked about integrating these four main pieces of, of data together and creating a little bit of a lead scoring system and perhaps even a lead decay system. Did you have any recommended techniques that people should use when implementing the framework? Sure. So we have at Active Campaign, we have what we call the marketplace. And so Active Campaign, you know, is a, it's an automation platform. And we recognize that there's a ton of capability, right? Automation isn't just sending emails. It's not just moving a deal from stage to stage. 
there are operational automations where you can, you know, take data from one place, move it to another, where you can notify people internally on your team. And all of these things are sort of running together. So it can be a little bit daunting. I um, mean, for that reason, we put together the, the marketplace where we have currently over 600 different automation recipes. And so what you can do is if you have a use case, if you have something that you think you want to do and you're wondering, is it possible? How would I even set that up? You just search the marketplace. You can filter by industry. You can filter by experience level. You can filter by area of the business that you want. But there's a ton of different information in there. And that's one, it's going to help you because if the framework is exactly what you want, you can import it into your active campaign account in a second. It's, it's totally free. Some of them, it, you know, we, we also encourage folks to create their own recipes and add them. So um, all of the ones that Active Campaign have has made, are, those are free. Some of them might have a little bit of a premium on them. But it's also going to teach you how to use and think about how you could actually achieve the thing that you that you want to achieve, right? So it's like you can look at all the different automation triggers. You can look at the, the logic in the automation and see, oh, I understand. Like, that's how you would do that. Or this is where I would have a split path where if it's like yes or no, then do these different things. And it's really just going to give you an education on, on the automation builder and help you build your own that are going to be more specific to your business. So I would definitely check out the, the marketplace, but in terms of, you know, anything else, it, it really, the, the strategy is just going to come down to test and test and, and test. It's a huge thing. You're not going to use any also. Yeah. You're, you're not going to use any one tool to achieve all of these things. And we recognize that, right? Like Active Campaign, I like to think of as sort of like the centralized hub for all of the information where you've got all these different arms, whether it's social media or your website or, you know, the various different pieces where you're gathering the information. So you want to think about how can you get all that information from everywhere else into one place? And, and you know, we recognize there is no real all-in-one solution. You can do everything, but you're probably not going to do it very well. And we recognize, you know, use the tools that work for you. Absolutely. But the, integrate, tie them together, make them work for you instead of siloing all the information. Again, back to those four pieces of information. One of the most important is information from integrations because, you know, not everybody is going to interact with your business the same way. So the more information that you can pull from more places, the more that you can listen, the more places that you can listen from, the, the better it's going to be. Just take that information and use it. And then again, determine, you know, what is this action actually saying about the intent? How many points should that, should that uh, result in? What should happen after this? Does it make sense for anything to happen after this? Those kind of questions are really important to ask. Yeah, definitely. I can think even from my own experience, you mentioned basically the, the listening part of retention and you mentioned integrations. I have noticed there is a little bit of a temptation to Maybe not treat the integrations as important sources of information, but I've noticed sometimes that you can really miss high, high value actions or high value data feedback. So, for example, has this person, you know, on another platform opted in three times, but because you didn't do the integration, you didn't know. And if you had known, you would have gotten someone on the phone to them pretty much straight away, as an example. Yeah, the, the medium matters so much. I might be someone who, who wants to buy from emails that you send me. That might be my jam, right? If you're sending me emails, that's my primary mode of, of learning about your business, learning about your new product offerings, and then getting to your website. But you could be someone who operates solely through social media, right? Like you might not even check your email. And so if you are a kind of a, a one trick pony and you're really only listening to the email or you're really only listening to a, a certain social and you're not getting all that information in one place, 
then you're going to be, you could be sending the exact same messaging and it could be working for me, right? They could be sending emails and I could be buying like a ton and you're never going to, because you're not going to see that. That's not where you're looking. So really pulling all those different things in is, is one of the, the medium is one of the most important parts. It's sort of like contacts are different. Everybody has different preferences. Everybody uses platforms differently. And, and that's where the listening in, from the integrations comes in. Most importantly, it's just what is this individual contact story and how can I communicate with them in a way that they want to be communicated with? Absolutely. On the point of implementation, before you mentioned some points about setting expectation with customers when they come into your system. Did you have any examples of best practice here or any suggestions on how to see setting expectations as part of the process? So for example, is, is the idea that as simple as if someone joins your database to send them that introduction email that says, this is what you can expect and make sure that you, you, know, you send things when you say you're going to send them or is there more to it? Yeah, it really comes down to just tell the truth, you know, tell the truth about what you're going to send, tell the truth about shipping times, about, you know, whatever the case may be. And then if, you know, certain obstacles kind of arise throughout the process and they sort of become repeat things, whether it's a question that somebody has, you know, set the expectation, remove that, tell them, tell them the answer to that, because it's a common thing that you face. If you're getting a complaint about a certain thing, over and over again, then, you know, maybe get in front of that. It's sort of just like objection handling and setting that expectation, just telling them as much as they, as much as they should know upfront, because again, you know, the Amazons, the, the Netflix, you know, the expectation base level is very different than it used to be. And so if you don't tell them what to expect, if you don't tell them, you know, here's, here's what you can, you know, reasonably expect to see from me or hear from me or how frequently, or here's a, a problem that you might experience. And we understand that, but here's what you can do in the meantime, because if you don't tell them that they're, ex they're not expecting those problems to arise. And so when they arise, you're missing that expectation and creating a negative experience. So really it's just like, tell the truth at the moment, the best way that you know how, and then as time goes on, that is probably going to get better for you. So I would really just say, you know, really tell them up front. And then another thing that's kind of interesting is sort of the idea of preferences. How often do you want to hear from us? What do you want to hear from us? On what channel do you want to hear it from us? Those kind of things set the expectation in a little bit of a, a different way where it's you're asking them almost for advice. And then you're truly personalizing that experience because of course they're going to expect what you're giving them because they asked you for that. So those two kind of things go hand in hand, but I would definitely say, you know, just, just tell the truth the, the best way that you know how up until it, it changes a little bit. Zooming out a little bit, when it comes to measuring the performance of your retention, what should people be looking at? A couple of different things. Again, I would definitely be looking at those, those engagement points, right? Website visits, integration information, page views, link clicks, email opens. Those are great things to look at sort of on a, on a surface level. If you have a lead scoring plan and you have the different point system set up, you're going to be able to tell at a glance, you know, if somebody has 78 points, what does that mean versus 32 points? What does that mean? So those things are, are really helpful, especially if you kind of have a refined lead scoring, because that's, that's where you can really see what contacts are at, at those various levels of engagement. I would definitely look at repeat customers. If you have a shorter product 
life cycle. I would look at reviews if you're if you're working and, and driving those. What is the feedback that you're getting? And then addressing any points that might be coming up that are negative or, you know, doubling down on the things that people are saying that are positive. If you can incorporate a how did you hear about us type survey for new leads, new customers, then you can see, you know, are people talking about us? How many are coming in from referrals or what sources are, are sort of working. And then if you can attribute, you know, leads to a specific channel, a specific lead source, and then kind of track those based on the lead source through the cycle, you know, what channels are performing best for you. If they normally come from Facebook and they don't really become customers, but the ones who come from Instagram are becoming customers, that's something that, you know, that's, that's where the retention kind of comes in. It's like, you should double down on those things. If you're, you know, like a software company or something similar to that, you know, you could look at platform usage. If you can track that, who's using the platform, how often are they using it? And then don't be afraid to, to get people on the phone. Don't be afraid to reach out one-on-one and actually have a candid conversation. A, a lot of people are willing to share their thoughts with you, but we're all very busy, especially if you are, you're a smaller team, you're a business owner, depending on what your product is. You know, They might not even be thinking about these things, but if you can get them on the phone, one, they're going to be like, holy crap, you called me? Like This is amazing. And then two, if you actually ask them their opinions, you want their advice, you want to have a candid conversation with them about how they're liking your business, how what it's like to interact with your business, they're going to have such a better impression of you and have such a better experience that they'll probably tell more people about it. But they're also way more likely to, to, to retain and, and remain a customer with you. So getting information from the primary source is, is a super important thing. And then asking them, you know, if they had ever considered leaving or what reasons, what's the, what's the least favorite part of doing business with us? You know, that's not necessarily a metric. That's a little more hands-on and intensive, but that's going to pay dividends in the future just because you're going to be able to identify those things and get in front of them, remove them before they become a problem for you. Yeah. So you mentioned tracking their email activity. It reminded me of a question I've been dying to ask you because I'm sure loads of people have the same question as well. What are your thoughts on inactive user lists and inactive email subscribers? Keep them or chuck them out? My initial inclination is to just say, just just chuck them. They're going to hurt you in the long run. It depends on how long they've been unengaged and it depends on the contact history, right? If they, if they were previously customers or they were previously really engaged, then that's not the same as someone who signed up for your email list and then never opened an email. Very different things. But, you know, active campaigns, one of the, our, our bread and butter really is, you know, email automation, email marketing. And so this is definitely a thing that we see all the time. You have spent so much time and effort watching that number go up, building your list to have to remove a significant portion of those subscribers hurts you like loss aversion to the nth degree, right? Those are your contacts. You worked so hard for those. You, you really need to try to detach yourself from that because they're hurting you. If you're sending to inactive email addresses or unengaged contacts, you know, the inbox service providers are going to look at your open rate. They're going to look at their email activity. And if you're sending, they're going to, they might label you as a spammer. You might line, wind up on a block list. Your IP reputation, your domain reputation, all these things are sort of going to suffer as a result of you sending to inactive, unengaged contacts. Send them a winback campaign. Try to get their attention with a, a flashy subject line. Be careful with the subject line because if you say something like free or whatever, avoid spammy words in that, but still try to do something that's going to get their attention and open that email. Maybe re-engage them. Give them a try, depending on the contact, maybe give them two tries if they were previously a customer, but honestly, remove them. 
because the smaller you're, if you have a small engaged list, your deliverability is going to be so much better than if you have a huge unengaged list, right? It might feel better. I sent an email to 15,000 people versus I sent an email to 350 people. But if your open rate is like 80% on that 350 list, like your deliverability, your reputation among the inbox providers, it's, it's only going to help you. So definitely, <laughs> definitely don't be afraid to, to just get rid of them. Yeah. Definitely makes a lot of sense. And I, I know that issue hits close to home. When it comes to retention strategies, did you have any thoughts on how this might be changing now that Apple is sort of modifying the way that uh, data is transferred between platforms like Facebook? Yeah, I think, you know, back to the email list, like you own your email list, you own your website. If you can track information there, that's your information. Those are your subscribers. If you can get phone numbers and send SMS messages, that's that's also something that you that's a direct line of communication where, you know, it is a, a two way street, maybe direct mail, anything that you own and that you're not at the mercy of another company. So the thing is, is that you have to make sure that what you're saying matches the expectations of the medium, right? Like I'm not going to send you an SMS message the same way I would send you an email because that's just not how people use SMS. And, you know, you have to make sure that there, there's that match the expectations of the medium, but also, you know, is what you're even saying like worth reading? Would you open the email? Would you respond to the text message? Like ask, ask yourself that that's really going to help. But I mean, in terms of, of this whole Apple censorship thing i think time will tell and and we'll see what happens but ultimately you know the channels that you you own the email list phone numbers you know that kind of a thing your website you might have to double down on that or rely on that a little bit better and those are still things that you can really listen and have a two-way conversation with it's not the most ideal but that's sort of where my head's at yeah absolutely it is it is what it is, ultimately. Just before we go, actually, up taking a different angle, I was curious to know, what are some of the developments that you're seeing in this area from your point of view? So thinking about platforms and improving retention. Yeah, so I, th- I think SMS seems to be in almost every conversation that I hear recently. It's very hot right now. Everyone's trying to get in the SMS game. And again, I think there's a there's a right way to do it and there's also a wrong way to do it right when i feel the vibration from my iphone in my pocket i'm thinking it's one of my friends i'm thinking it's one of my family members i'm not thinking it's a company that's sending me a marketing message now you can use that to your advantage or at least not to your disadvantage by recognizing that that's how people use sms it's very different than email it's very different than other channels so you can be more casual And that also helps you to kind of cultivate your brand voice, I think, a little bit. You can have some more fun with it. You can be more personable. It's very important, but I think a lot of people miss that. It's sort of just like, oh, here's another channel. Send them the offer via text. And then you wonder why so many people are opting out of SMS. And another thing is just sort of, you know, as the world kind of comes back here, we're in this sort of limbo period towards the the tail end of the pandemic. And people seem to be going back to to work or getting back into in-person there's a big question as to, you know, what is that going to look like? What's going to stick around versus what's not going to stick around? And I think there, I have, I would be willing to bet that there are two things that would really stick around and that's going to be e-commerce. I think people, a lot of people who had never really relied on online shopping before had to and found that it was great and they're not going to go anywhere. I think that it might you know, that's definitely not going away. And then the other thing is digital events like webinars or like video content series. So I think that if you can put out content 
a one-to-many webinar or a, an educational series or, you know, content. A lot, I mean, we were stuck inside for the, over a year and we had our phones and we had our computers and we had our TVs and we were consuming content even more so than we were before, which is kind of staggering. But I think that a lot of people turned to digital events and found that they actually enjoy them and that they actually work. I think there's going to be a little bit of a dip and a lag period once we get back because, you know, in-person is going to be this thing that was sort of like a commodity, like, wow, we can get more of this now. But I definitely think that webinars, digital events, virtual content series, those things are here to stay. And I would definitely remain invested in those. Yeah, awesome. Perfect. So really appreciate you sharing some of your insights and perspectives on this with us today. But before you go, what would be the best way for people to connect with you? You can hit me up on LinkedIn. My name is Ernie Santorelli, the multimedia content manager at Active Campaign. You can tune into Growth Decoded, which would be great. We air that live on YouTube and on LinkedIn every two weeks on Wednesdays, 11 a.m. Central Time. And you know, follow Active Campaign on LinkedIn or subscribe on YouTube, and you will get all of that content. You can also subscribe to the show on the Active Campaign website. And then Twitter, I guess. My handle here is at uh, eSantarelli. So feel free to, to follow me there, interact with me. I would love to hear from you. Perfect. Thanks, Oni. Yep. Thank you.